We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamam Rabian, and I have a co-host that is, I'm also a co-host with on another podcast, and you'll you'll recognize him on Twitter as the Sooner Tracker, providing you guys with all of the uniform updates and all kinds of other funny material, but I'm joined by Justin Peabody. Justin, how are you doing today? I am doing so good. We got to watch a historic rivalry, uh, which maybe didn't have the flavor it used to have, but it's still fun. Uh, it's fun to talk trash against anyone you have history with, even if you weren't alive for said history. Now, just to like preface, just like the whole post game review, did you um, did you feel hesitant like a lot of the other fan base did about this game going into Lincoln? Hundred percent. I was extremely nervous about this game, especially after the announcement of Scott Frost getting fired. I was way less nervous thinking like they just lost to Georgia Southern. Scott Frost is terrible. He's lost the team. Like clearly they're in a downward spiral and this is going to be a beatdown. The second they announced Scott Frost was gone, which I was shocked because they basically paid an extra $8 million to do so. I was terrified. This was going to be the the dead cat bounce game, uh, the you know killing a wounded animal game. However you want to think about it, it's hard to do when a team kind of gets that like little bit of extra motivation. The coach mm-hmm. is gone, new voice in the locker room. They had a lot to play for, and pregame the energy seemed like that was validated. Um, getting ready to go, like on the field, everything seemed like that was like okay. This is going to be the case. This is pretty hostile, and then that first series for both teams kind of kept that feeling going but after that uh much much different story in lincoln but yes absolutely going into it i was i was very nervous probably more so than you should be when you're playing a team as bad as that and i i i mean like i felt similar i felt similar concerns i mean i didn't think they were going to blow them out a lot of people i saw a lot of people i thought oklahoma was going to blow them out uh just because this team was so bad and to, to your point about Scott Frost being canned, I saw a tweet that recognized like maybe Scott Frost was the reason why they were only being able to hold them teams with them within one score. And now they have this yeah. new guy in there. Right. Um, but <laughs> I saw people that ranged from blowing them out to Nebraska, definitely pulling the upset. Heck, even all the guys in like college game day yes. and big noon. It was like Inclu- the trendy upset pick yeah. across some of the talking heads for sure. Including uh, future head coach, head, head Nebraska coach Urban Meyer predicting that upset. It's pandering. He's pandering for a job interview. That's all that was. He was looking down on those down that <laughs> Nebraska player as soon as Gus had to leave. Yes. He was like, who's going to be, who's going to be my next Aaron Hernandez? <laughs> <laughs> who's going to be my next guy. Oh man. So yeah, that's kind of the big thing they hit on. Nebraska sucks. Uh, they Indeed. fired, uh, fired uh, Scott Frost still sucks. Um, the game Sooners beat, 
win. I ween. They they ween. They ween. That, that was that was weird. They ween the game. Uh, yeah, if I was like <laughs> Italian, I suppose I would say that, or or, or just generally European, because the eyes sound like E's and their A sound like Oz. So make uh, A sound like Oz, right? Sure. Like America. <laughs> That's what my dad. So my it's what all my Iranian family sounds like. That's awesome. It's incredible. <laughs> Sooners beat Nebraska. They win in Lincoln, 49 to 14. Um, at the t- if you placed your bet at the time of the start of the game, it was OU by 11. Uh, the over under was 66, which definitely could have been met. Uh, yeah. But Venables called off the dogs pretty early into the third quarter. I think like eight minutes in- into the third yeah. quarter and said, ah, let's just play twos and threes the rest of the way. And so you mentioned this earlier. So like it was a weird series for the Sooners. They come out with the ball, get nothing really done. Gabriel has all day to throw, uh, gets sacked um, in the Huskers methodically and looked really, really easy for them. Scores a touchdown, just a long, deep touchdown where the no, no safeties are accounting for this guy or they get there a little bit late. And so what were your immediate thoughts after Oklahoma? They go, they didn't go three and out, I don't think, but they, they might've yeah. gone three and out. No, they got, they got a first down. Um, then they went three and out. Okay. Okay. And then Nebraska, they just like, it seemingly just like breeze down the field. Like it, it looked easy for Casey Thompson and those Super guys. Easy. Uh, and so what was your thought as soon as they crossed the threshold of the goal line? Um, well, I was right. <laughs> That was my first thought. I mean, like you said, it was, it felt like all the makings of the trap game that a lot of people thought it could be for OU. The, the emotion was high. The fans were into it. The environment was there. The team was executing. OU came out and ran two run plays and got 15 yards between those two plays. And I was like, okay, you know, that this Nebraska team can't stop anybody running the ball. This is going to be the case. But then, like you said, you had a sack for Dylan Gabriel, then Eric Gray only got one yard, then a missed pass, and all of a sudden you're punting. And then for Nebraska, they faced one second down on that drive, and it was a second and one. Everything after that was a first down for at least... um, Like chunk plays. Yeah, it was like 15, 20 yards of play, and it felt all too familiar. (laughs) It felt like OU teams of old, where you saw it against Tulane, you saw it against all these lesser opponents last season and the seasons prior where there's no reason this team should be doing that to Oklahoma, but it's happening. The yeah. The defense didn't look like they were getting press coverage. They weren't pressuring anybody, uh, and it looked all too easy for, for Thompson back there, and I, I just felt sick to my stomach. <laughs> but then... It changed like as fast as it went bad, it went good again. And I think that that was the most impressive part of the game for me is that as soon as it felt like the wheels might fall off, like all of a sudden, OU snapped it right back into control. And I think for me, that was the biggest difference from that game versus some of those games we've seen in the past Mm -hmm. where it just feels like a nightmare, like a a train coming that you can't stop. Mm Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, OU like actually made adjustments, and what a novel concept that it worked out for him. Yeah, Lovey didn't wait till like nearly halftime to make adjustments on how he was going to actually run that offense. And yeah, gosh, yeah, Oklahoma immediately responds on the next drive. Like, and it was it was a third and six, and man, yeah. just trying to pick up a first down. And then that QB draw play is still pretty lethal, no matter how fast or not you are. Gabriel, like. <laughs> 
I believe he was moving faster than people think he was. I feel like yeah. he has a long stride. Yeah. Uh, for a yeah. guy his size, anyways. But so yeah, like my my knee jerk reaction when Nebraska scored that I was like, well, shit. And then <laughs> and then I said, and then I was like, well, this is not setting up to be good to to be as as awesome as I thought it might be. Uh, but let's talk about Dylan Gabriel. Yes. So has had a fairly decent amount of time in pass protection. The guy has had seemingly like way more time than your average quarterback gets in the pocket yeah. Yeah. through three games, not just the Nebraska game, mm-hmm. but the UTEP game and also um, the game from last week. And so um, he still takes several sacks mm-hmm. despite having like all this time to throw. Do you think that's something that is going to be adjusted and worked on with Lebby and it's just going to be coached out of him? Or is that something that, yes, partially to that first part, yeah, but something that we'll have to live with throughout the season? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, you know, really early on in the season, I was impressed by his decisiveness, like in the, in the beginning of the first game compared to what we saw, you know, with Spencer Rattler last season, which has carried over into this, this season, season with South yeah. Carolina. Um, but I think what we've seen more and more is opportunities where it feels like the play's there and he's just not getting the ball off quick enough um, or he's not seeing the man open. And you can pin some of that on the line, but like you said, I think he's getting more time than most back there like he's it's not like he's under pressure from the second the ball is snapped he's got plenty of time to make a decision i think there's got to be an adjustment i don't know if it's like you know types of plays to get him in a rhythm give him less reads to go through so he can make some quicker decisions to kind of build up that confidence i don't know if something like that helps him or you know is this something that's just kind of part of the game when you don't have an all-world quarterback like Oklahoma fans are used to watching the Caleb Williams, the Kyler Murray, the Baker Mayfield, even the Jalen Hurts. This is a different animal. And this may just be part of having like a good, not great quarterback. It also concerns me for teams that are going to be better on defense, like Nebraska, yeah. uh, not Nebraska, but not Baylor, Nebraska. <laughs> uh, not Nebraska, but yes. Baylor, because Nebraska's yes. defense is terrible. Uh, ba- the Baylors of the world. Um, yep. Texas has talent. We'll, we'll we'll see how that actually manifests. Uh, Kansas actually can get after it. Kansas State can certainly get after it. Yep. And so Oklahoma's seen three teams that I would say, realistically, only one of them will make a bowl. And mm-hmm. Oklahoma played them last week. Yep. Um, does that give you more concern for him in the future? Potentially. Um, what is interesting to look at, though, is if you look back at his um, sack numbers uh, in, in previous seasons, obviously, you, you kind of have to throw out last season at UCF. But if you look at 2020 and 2019, he took 22 sacks in both of those seasons. He has seven thus far through the season. So mm-hmm. he's going to have to get that rate down to kind of match where he's been at previously. But 22 sacks in a season is not nothing. Um, I think the the decisiveness has to come. Maybe, you know, being smarter with when to scramble in certain situations is part of it, too. I think that's something OU fans got very used to with every quarterback they've had uh, in the last few years, including even with Baker. Yeah, all the way back to Baker, um, you know, even Spencer, who made plenty of bonehead decisions like he could scramble 
uh, at times when necessary. Mm-hmm. I think Gabriel might need to add that facet to his game a little bit to to get those sack numbers down moving forward, especially against defensive fronts that, you know, if they see that as a weakness, they're going to start coming. Yeah, and I I wonder if especially, I mean, this is something that you can't get out of your mind I, I would imagine as a as a person, not even as a football player, that the, the guy did break a collarbone last year. Yeah. And if that gives him even more reason to just like just go down and which to his credit, he does like when he knows mm-hmm. there's a sack coming, he does just the Peyton Manning. He goes yeah. down uh, <laughs> to in order to avoid and make, basically make a business decision. Yep. But it's just like a lot of the times these sacks are happening outside the pocket. Just mm-hmm. throw it out of bounds yeah. near the, toward the marker, throw it at somebody's feet. And, and so I wonder like what's behind that. If it's just, I don't want to say it's the lack of football IQ, um, yeah. but I, I have no idea what goes behind that. But I think situation yeah. that he, we're going to, we've seen sacks. A lot of them, haven't necessarily been coverage sacks and yep. we'll see like how that goes on a little bit further as the season kind of rolls. Yep. But Nebraska's defense, as aforementioned does suck like really <laughs> bad. They're like, they gave up 200 something yard, 200, like 30, 40 yards on the road, uh, on the road, on the road, on the ground to Georgia Southern. Yep. The Georgia Southern dropped 300 something passing yards on them. Um, and of course when Georgia Southern beat them, but their offense was actually advertised mm-hmm. as something being more, I guess, potent mm-hmm. as far as production is concerned. Like we think of Casey Thompson, who has a decent arm as far as like arm, like strength, maybe accuracy is not there as mm-hmm. much. Um, and they had some good wide receivers and a tight end. They just got back from injury. What are some of your key takeaways from this game as the Sooners had their first road game in Lincoln, knowing that after that first drive Nebraska had, Oklahoma basically, just their ones, shut down that Nebraska team better than they have the previous two teams they faced the entire year. They, I mean, like Nebraska wasn't doing anything. Yep. Yeah, to your point, this this is a Nebraska team that through the season, including yesterday, is averaging 450 yards a game and 30 and a half points a game. Oklahoma brought both of those numbers down with their performance yesterday. And like we all know, Casey Thompson, we saw what he could do against Oklahoma last year, even in their losses this season, they were still able to move the ball. They were still able to score the ball. And that that first drive, it was like, okay, this is as advertised. But like I mentioned, BV and Ted Roof and staff made adjustments. The Oklahoma defense locked in and changed uh, what they were doing and really kind of shut down this team that I think I expected to do a lot more damage. 14 points on the day and only 327 yards feels like a really nice day for for Brent Venable's defense, especially considering like a good chunk of that came, like you mentioned, in the last quarter and a half or so where OU was playing twos and threes. This this was a 49 to 7 game for most of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That that garbage time, you know, they they got a couple drives where they moved the ball pretty well and got seven points out of it. Oklahoma looked totally different. And it was kind of cool to hear the the broadcast crew acknowledge it of, you know, both Clat and uh, Gus 
called out that <laughs> Gus when he was in the first half. That's, that's what I was about to say. When Gus was in the booth, um, he, he called it out. They said, you know, I've been I've been covering Oklahoma games for 12 years and I ain't ever seen them look like this. And now I want to tap the brakes on that. Like I'm not ready to make that big of a declaration of like it's a whole new team. BV's totally turned the ship around, but they're not wrong. I think anybody that watched that game saw it. The defense was aggressive. The defense was decisive. The defense made plays. Um, they didn't miss tackles. And I think that's been something through all three games that's really stood out. I mean, you couldn't go a drive without a missed tackle last season. And usually an important one, like a third and 12 important drive stopping tackle that would just not happen. This team Mm -hmm. is getting those stops and they're getting turnovers despite, you know, not having Alex Grinch talking about turnovers every 12 seconds. They're still getting turnovers. Uh, I think it, it just feels like a different energy. And what's crazy is like, yeah, they brought in some new players, but they lost a lot. And I think for this group of guys to be performing at this level is super impressive to me when I look at this team and, and gets me very excited about what this team can be under Venables moving forward. Yeah. The, the Sooners lead the, I believe they leave the lead the nation and obviously the conference in tackles for loss. So they, yeah. the, the guys right behind them are Oklahoma state and Baylor. So those are two <laughs> other really good defenses yeah. that are also playing in the big 12 this year. And, uh, also what you, uh, what you mentioned about other players and other seasons. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There were so many former players watching this game Saturday morning and tweeting out their thoughts on, (laughs) Oh my God, why couldn't have Brent Venables been there a year earlier? Nick Benito was the first one that came out and really said something because can you imagine Nick Benito on this team? They He's, killed like Alex Grinch killed his his draft yes. stock taking off the Perry and Winfrey, downs. Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito, all those guys in this scheme would have been horrifying. Yep, horrifying. And, and oh my gosh, yeah, it's like it was Nick Benito, uh, Brian Asamoa, uh, quote retweeted yes. him was like, yeah, what the heck, and then <laughs> Zach Sanchez, like that from the flash in the past. Yes. Uh, he he's he talks about it too. A lot of guys were talking that up, and I mean, like they're not wrong. Yeah. I like, mean, how many times did we scream about not having Nick Benito on the field on third down? Yep. And uh, that just wouldn't happen in this scheme. And I think that's that's what's encouraging is it feels like the last couple years Oklahoma was loaded with talent, and especially last year, just very clearly not mm-hmm. playing up to their talent level. Oklahoma maybe feels less talented this year, but is over exceeding in almost every area. And it's nowhere more noticeable than on the defensive side of the ball, where you have the same guys that were getting scorched last season. And those guys backups now going out and looking incredibly stout and really smart and really fast. And all those adjectives that BV said in his initial press conference, I think we're we're seeing that in real life. And and the Nebraska game was a great example of that. Did you see Stuart Mandel put out an apology? (laughs) Yes, I did. I do not accept. (laughs) I do not accept Stuart. And and it was odd because Oklahoma, the first two games of the season come out, come out in a four, a four man front, uh, two linebackers. And then Deshaun white as 
that cheetah position slash linebacker, whatever you want to do, um, who's going to be suspended for the first half of the K-State game. Yep. <laughs> um, I imagine Justin Harrington or uh, Jaron Kanek uh, will be playing or trading off there. Uh, but, yeah, that, that three-man th- front threw me off. I was like, why Why are we in a three-man front all of a sudden? Especially on the first drive. <laughs> yeah, I was like, like why, are we we a th- why are we in a three-man front? Yes. And, uh, I mean, like, as the game went on, I mean, it proved to be pretty successful. They were, like, running, like, a 3-3-5 three, three, a lot of times, but that third linebacker, if you will, would be, mm-hmm. like, Billy Bowman, yep. who came up with a fourth-down stop. So. Yes. Dude, a lot to like everywhere about this team. Oh my gosh, Billy Bowman. He's gonna be he's gonna be all big twelve by the end of the season. Uh he's gonna be on, on one of the all big twelve teams. Yeah, do it. Have to he's he's probably more than anybody else the most like head scratching of what 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 were they doing with Billy Bowman last year? Like I he's obviously had like a physical transformation in the offseason, but he was just not utilized in any capacity last season. That is so refreshing to see this year because I mean he's in on every play. It feels like. Yeah, I think one of the former players tweeted out that tweeted about that too. I can't remember which one, but talking about how they pl- had him playing. I think it might have been Nick Benito again. Yeah, how they had Billy playing so many positions, and now mm-hmm. that he's found a traditional position, it's still odd to see Deshaun White behind the entire defense and Billy Bowman at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> yes. uh, but he is definitely living up to the hype that we expected. Yep. Maybe last year, but last year he was just put at in so many different weird positions yeah. and not set up to succeed. And and that's the thing about Brent Venables is like he is a he's a defensive coordinator and the whole deal is scheming things and scheming things open. Mm-hmm. And whereas I don't know, like the last however many years, uh, especially when things went sour under Mike too, it felt like they were just trying to defend what was in front of them. Yeah. Whereas Brent Venables attacks and schemes on defense as well, just like yeah. as an offensive coordinator would scheme uh, open certain plays. Brent is there to scheme open blitzes and to f- scream, scheme open free runners where yeah. Jaron Kanick is going to beat himself up again for just the pad leverage. If, his, if he gets yes. his pads a little bit lower, he <laughs> lights up two quarterbacks in Dip a row. Down. Yes. Oh my gosh. But, um, uh, he is like a master of doing that. Hence the Frank Rose award and Hank, yep. Hence all of his all of his national titles. He has three. And so he mentioned after the game, Brent, that they were able to play 70 plus players in that game, which I thought was Wild. a little bit of a subtle flex. He's like, yeah, well, everybody's <laughs> got to be ready. I was like, OK, Brent. Yeah. All right, Brent. They're able to play 70 plus players because they sub up, they subbed out everybody after the 49th point, except the offensive line. Yep. And that's when you start to like, I think. Uh, oh, who was it? Uh, Chris Murray got hurt mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, let's, let's put in all the freshmen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, they were playing backups for the rest of the day. And so Brent mentioned after the game, they were able to play 70 plus players and included younger guys just to start the game. Like Damon Harmon was not a guy yes. that I had on my no. radar as far as starting the game, not but also and not just garbage time. Do you expect to see this team though, to play with extended depth, maybe not 70 players, but I'm talking like, twos maybe some threes throughout conference play or do you think they'll limit it to their best ones and your traditional twos that'll get subbed out i think it's going to be tightened up a little bit i think what you're going to see as the season goes on 
is more opportunities for the younger guys. Like Jaron Kanick is a great example of, you know, he had pretty limited opportunities in the first game. He was kind of forced into more opportunities against Nebraska because of the targeting ejection. But I mean, he led the team in, in tackles, 10 tackles, forced fumble. It, it was incredibly impressive. Like he got his opportunity and he made the most of it. He's probably going to get some more opportunity against K-State again because of said targeting e- ejection. But he's one. I mean, obviously, he he's carried a lot of hype from even before he set foot on campus in Norman. But like as the season goes on and he really kind of understands the system and really understands. I mean, BV called him out and said he doesn't even know how to play linebacker yet, which is kind of scary if you're yeah. the rest of the league. But he's going to get more comfortable and kind of get more opportunities. I think as he continues to figure that out, I think you'll see that across a bunch of other positions as well. I think what's honestly most refreshing about this defense is that you're not cycling guys as much. Like that's what drove us nuts with Grinch is it was the constant rotation of players. And then you get caught in situations where you don't have your best guys on the field. Grinch willing to ride with whoever he thinks is worthy of the spot Mm -hmm. if that's a freshman it's going to be a freshman if it's a fifth year senior it's going to be a fifth year senior and i think that i I, that willingness to put the best guy out there you obviously have to rotate you can't play the same guys the whole game but i think you're going to see that get tightened up and if you're going to be on the field you're going to have to earn that opportunity and it feels like the best guys in practice not necessarily each week but each week as far as like a a view of their whole kind of growth as a player in general, because you're seeing guys playing at different positions each week, as far as like on the depth chart, like the depth chart from season one, uh, from the, from the, from the first of the season, from week one to the end of the season relatively has usually may remain the same. Uh, Mm -hmm. not just the Lincoln Riley era, but the Bob Stoops era too with Brent, like gosh, through these first three games, the depth chart means absolutely nothing because there are guys playing places that you were not expecting. And yeah. Also Daniel Parker wearing 22 still throws me <laughs> off. Like it's like, Oh, that's a running back. No, right. that's just the tight end. That actually should just be like an offensive tackle. He's just a little bit smaller, <laughs> uh, but it, it's just, it, it's, it's pretty unbelievable, but yeah, I expect him to tighten it up a little bit. Ones and twos, maybe threes yeah. occasionally just because of injury and stuff like that, which, for that defense's sake, they have some depth, uh, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, but yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't foresee them playing a lot of. Uh, oh, who's the new Brian Mead? It's the Edmund, uh, the Edmund <laughs> kid. 40, yes, forty-one. Um, I think. Uh, what is his name? He's he's got a he's got an excellent look to him. Um, yeah, he's got the eye black on and all that other stuff. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, that's gonna bother me. Sorry. Sorry, we can remember your name. Uh, um, maybe, <laughs> maybe when you're on scholarship, uh, Hank McCoy. Hank McCoy. Hank McCoy. McCoy. Hank. Jake. 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 Oh, okay. I was hoping it was Hank. <laughs> Hank is an excellent name. Hank McCoy. Yeah, yeah. McCoy uh, out of the Edmond area. So he's the new Brian Mead. Everybody <laughs> loves him, but he's bigger, so that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Um. What was more exciting to you and why the Gabriel scamper to the end zone, um, uh, channeling his, uh, David Kala, Iki, Ala, E 
uh, from King of the Hill, <laughs> the flying Hawaiian. Yes. The Braden Willis touchdown pass um, or maybe another play. What was what was more exciting to you and why? I got to go with the Gabriel Scamper just because of the length of that play, the when it came in the game. It was a third and six. The the mo- momentum felt like it was on Nebraska's side. And there was lots of opportunities for that play to end. And he just kept extending it. The downfield blocking was excellent. And the the way he was able to, to get all the way to the end zone was impressive with, like you said, uh, not seemingly looking like he was going very fast, but but he got there. Versus the, the Braden Willis touchdown pass honestly happened so fast. And I was like trying to get my kid out the door for his soccer game. So I was like watching over my shoulder and I almost missed it. Um, going back and watching the replay, obviously a really cool play design. The way that was set up was, was super cool as well. I mean, he was major was wide open on that mm-hmm. play. I could have thrown that pass. Probably not, but uh, Braden, Braden had it set up really nicely. And I think that that, that, that was a nice little wrinkle after two games that were pretty bland from Jeff yeah, Levy. Pretty, pretty vanilla stale. It was nice to see, see a little bit of spice. Um, I'm excited to see, see what else he has cooked up for K state. On that Gabriel touchdown run, he should have stepped out of bounds, but I think the Nebraska defender who was trying to like grab his ankles accidentally re- pushed his ankle <laughs> in bounds to where it just kept him going yeah. uh-huh. those last 15 yards. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Um, I th- I think I thought the Braden Wolves touchdown pass was gonna be meant for Jaden Gibson to throw that mm. ball. Because yeah. he was far near the numbers, yeah. and they call it a timeout, and yep. Gibson was subbed out, and then it would, and then it was Braden Willis in that spot, and I had to, I had to watch on replay because, like you, like you said, it happened fast. It's like, wait, yeah. how did this, how did this happen? How did Major <laughs> get in the ball? How, how is Major in the end zone already? All what by happened himself. here? Yes, yeah, and so it was just a, 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 just a delay um, where he. <laughs> Braden Willis, of course, he throws the ball, and then all of a sudden, Major takes off in the backfield as he's blocking, and then just takes up field, and then wide open. Wasn't expecting that because they hadn't done any trick plays Mm-mm. besides the reverses to yeah. the same guy, um, in which they tried again. <sighs> that one didn't go so good. Didn't go too well. <laughs> uh, but all, but you know, you know, sometimes Gavin Freeman, everything that doesn't go our way, and that's okay. <laughs> um, he'll have another chance. Yes, but. I would say Gabriel Scamper too, because I mean, that's the, that's the first time that you've really seen Gabriel navigate the field as a runner, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see him scramble occasionally here and there. Um, You see him scramble barely at a sacks if he's not getting (laughs) sacked, but you haven't seen him. Oh, he's, they're going to, now it's suddenly a QB draw in which they ran a few times, even for Davis Bevel. Yep. Uh, QB draw and he just running up and down snakes down the sideline threw up the middle of the field. That was fantastic. But yep. I saw a tweet that said Braden Willis and Spencer Rattler have as many touchdown passes against Nebraska as uh, uh, <laughs> as each other. So wah, saw, wah. saw a tweet like that. And that was also <laughs> as Spencer was yeah. not having the best of days against probably what is the best team in college football and Georgia people like wanted a joke, but like, I mean, that's South Carolina. They're not that great. And Georgia is probably the best team that's out there right now. Definitely at this point. Who who would he would even be on their level right now? 
or even close. I'd probably put Ohio State up there. Okay. But I'd I'd give the edge to Georgia for yeah. sure. Well, you're not you're not gonna say USC. No, no. Uh I'm not sure if you saw their rushing defense, but um all the issues we were talking about earlier, those those are still there. <laughs> yeah, those are definitely still issues. And like to their credit, they 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 won 45-17 last yeah. night, which people were like, well, Fresno State's offense is really good. And that 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 didn't really happen, but they've had their own issues for sure. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, Georgia's probably the best. Alabama Ohio State are probably maybe in this like in the same tier as each other. Yep, I agree. Like like I even saying Texas is not that good. Alabama is not that bad. Yeah, I mean agreed. It, that's just how things were. I think I think it was a momentum thing too. Yep. Uh um. So let's talk about this team more. This Oklahoma team because of everything that you said earlier, you mentioned what Gus Johnson said, you mentioned what urban and Brady and all and Quinn and everybody else in the booth. They, the one guy left. So they brought three guys down naturally. Um, <laughs> what is something that you feel like you learned about this team after their performance? Yeah. Like it could be positive, could be negative. Yeah. I think on, on the positive side, that defensive mentality change, like the front seven of that team looks impressive. Um, once again, like Nebraska has had solid offensive success despite their struggles this season. They're going to get tested a lot more as soon as next week with Deuce Vaughn. Like he can make a lot of people look stupid and we're going to get to see like, all right, how, how do they handle somebody like that? Who, I mean, not to give anyone PTSD, but just flash back to when BV was in town the first time and the, the 2003 Big 12 championship against oh, K-State where you got run over all day and night. I, it could happen again. It could very much happen again. You got to rely on that front seven. I think if they play like they have so far, especially if they play like they did against Nebraska, it's going to be tough sledding for K-State. And I think that's that's the biggest if. As you transition to conference play, can you carry that over? Yeah, you've worked Kent State and UTEP and Nebraska, but now we're going to start getting against some teams that actually can should be able to move the ball on you. Um, they have a little bit more history. Conference play is just a whole different animal. So seeing how that carries over, I think will be important. The other thing I really liked out of the game on the other side of the ball was the, the spreading the ball around on the offensive end. I think, um, you know, I saw the memes after the, after the last game that was like, screw it. Marvin Mims down there somewhere and just mm -hmm. like heave the ball, which, you know, was absolutely deserved. But if you look at the catch breakdown, Mims led the way with four, but only four after that, you had Farouk with three, who should have had a lot more if Gabriel could have hit, hit him on target. Yep. You had Weiss with two, Stoops with three, uh, Braden Willis with two, and then you had five different guys with one catch. Like I really like that distribution, and I think for a team other than Mims that maybe doesn't have a superstar in the in the wideout position, especially when you look at who this team had last season, mm -hmm. um, they lost a lot. So being able to spread it around, involve all of those guys, use their different strengths. 
you know, you're going to Drake Stoops a lot in third downs and those types of situations. I love seeing Theo East get involved, especially to get a touchdown kind of after his injuries and all that stuff. That that was fun to see. And then Farouk getting him involved, who's been pretty quiet this year. I think Gabriel doesn't overthrow a few of those balls and Farouk maybe gets a second touchdown out of the day. Um, I'm very, very high on, on what we could see from that duo heading into conference play. Yeah, it definitely feels like Gabriel maybe overthrowing that guys that are kind of wide open is like a little bit of a thing. Yeah. yeah? That and the sacks are like my two biggest concerns with him. Um, there's definitely times where, you know, the deep balls, they are what they are. You know, you're not, you're not always going to have a Kyler Murray that can just throw it on a dime 70 yards down the field, right. whatever he wants. That's understandable. It's the ones where it's like the 15 yard routes and it just sails over his head. Those are a little more concerning to me. Like you got to hit those. That's going to come back to bite you in a close game when you have Farouk, he's got the edge, he's going on a slant and you just totally miss him. Like those are the things you've got to clean up. Yeah, gosh. And and Brent Venables could have scored. He knows, and that's why they did the way they did. They they could have dropped over 60 on them in Lincoln. And probably I think that that was the most, by the way, that was the most points Oklahoma's ever scored in Lincoln, Nebraska. Which is wild. I saw Uh, that stat. And they could have had the most points scored in Nebraska just in general if they really wanted to. I mean, and and that's that's something that makes me think about conference play as well, is that these these last three games are exactly kind of what you would have wanted mm-hmm. as far as well, your starters are out there for a couple possessions in the second half and you are pulling them. Mm-hmm. Um and so this team is pretty rested. I would I would say more well rested than the majority of their conference opponents uh, just because a lot of them have been sitting on the sideline yeah. halfway through the third quarter. Um and so although it's upset a lot of people and maybe their betting opportunities, uh <laughs> specifically the Nebraska game for that over under uh because Oklahoma covered the other two games. Yep. Um but they, when when they sat Dylan Gabriel everybody was like, "What?" <laughs> Think <laughs> including us. Like I was joking, but there are people who are like, "Are you kidding me? This is gonna kill my over under because we mm-hmm. know Davis Bevel for some reason uh, won't throw the ball. They won't let him. Yeah, they he he is not allowed to throw the ball. He's he threw more blocks than balls. <laughs> it's it is kind of crazy. Like they have to let him pass eventually, right? Like right? you would think, like, in, like God willing, right? In case <laughs> goes down, yeah. You would like to have at least have this man throw a ball to somebody. <laughs> and it, it's comical to watch them in warmups next to each other with Dylan Gabriel being yes. like a full helmet in whatever shorter than than Davis Bevel. It looks like you and I standing next to each other. It's 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 yeah, <laughs> you're it's probably worse if you and I standing next to each other. Fair, probably. But, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it it is comical watching those two guys. Anybody saying that Dylan Gabriel is like 5'11 is or six foot is not telling you the truth. We're just, <laughs> just going to go out and say that. Um, what are some concerns you still might have? Because obviously yeah. like something that we learned is that the defense, they can be aggressive. They, they can change the, the schemes offense. We saw a little bit more uh, juice, if you will, mm-hmm. but what are some questions or still maybe some concerns that you mm-hmm. have 
still leading into conference play coming yeah. this week. I, I want to see a really complete game from the offensive line. I think they played solid against Nebraska, especially once they put Wanya Morris in. I think that getting getting more comfortable with that group of guys, including Morris, is going to be key. I mean, we see it every year with Bedenbo's group building that chemistry. The offensive line gets better every game you go on in the season. Losing those first two games with Wanya Morris could hurt them, especially going into K-State. Like, I want to make sure that there's not going to be an issue there because they only played, you know, two and a half quarters together against Nebraska, who doesn't have the best defensive line in the world. That that concerns me a little bit. I want to make sure that that group is operating at all cylinders as we head into conference play. Um, I think the, the running game, while Eric Gray looked awesome yesterday, I mean, probably best game he's had in an OU uniform, um, 11 carries for 113 yards, awesome. But like everyone's been running on Nebraska. I want to see him do that against a more formidable defensive front. He looked really good in the open field. I want to see him make just as good of decisions when the running lanes are a little more crowded. I want to see Marcus Major do a little more. I think he was probably the most disappointing part of the offense yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, Major, he only got 35 yards on 12 carries. That was Um, weird. Yeah, it was weird. And, And I think that if you are a little bit thin at running back, like OU is, you want to feel good about both gray and major. Um, I mean, obviously Javante Barnes has, has shown some really fun flashes. I don't know if you can rely on him through the thick of the conference schedule yet. Are you not a big Tawi Walker fan? Not a big Tawi Walker fan. No <laughs> offense to Tawi Walker. Um, I, I think you got to feel good about those two guys in the backfield. And then the issues that we talked about with Gabriel, you'd like to see some of those get cleaned up, or I could see a scenario where it's a close game important drive and if if we can't hit things on target or we're taking unnecessary sacks um maybe you know maybe that pushes you out of field goal range one day maybe that shuts down a drive and the other team capitalizes on that momentum like those things are gonna matter eventually they haven't yet but they will and so getting those cleaned up as soon as you can i think is going to be important for them and the thing is like it doesn't make things easier that you have a Kansas State team coming to Norman, and then you go to Fort Worth yep. uh, to play TCU, who's n- notable for their defense. But I mean, they have a new coaching staff there, yep. and that entire situation is a little bit weird. Yep. I think Chandler Chandler Morris is still their starting quarterback, even though they had to bring in Max Duggan a couple more than a couple times. Then you officially play Texas, whether or not you'll see Quinn Ewers out there um, or Hudson Card or whoever else they might have back playing quarterback. Uh, I'm I'm really, really curious to see how this team transitions. I'm still this. Of course, there are questions still in the trenches. Mm -hmm. Um, Offensive line, pass, pass protection usually is pretty fine. Yeah. Um, yep. from what we've seen, even, even last year, pass protection wasn't really that bad. Yep. Um, but it was the ability to run the ball yep. and lean on your opponent. And so like, they're showing a little bit more of that, but of course 
they didn't, they weren't able to do that against Kent state, but neither was Washington who just beat the hell out of Michigan state. <laughs> I mean, wa- against Washington because Kent state is like playing, they played Washington non-con yep. OU. And then they think they're going to go play Georgia mm-hmm. the first three games. I, I gosh, they're that's ambitious and a lot of money that they're getting for their program. <laughs> uh, I suppose. Uh, but they held Washington to like 3.8, 3.9 yards of carry, 139 mm-hmm. yards on the ground. And next thing you know, you see Washington go and beat the crap out of Michigan State. You're like, okay, well, maybe Kent State's defense is just yeah. really well coached. Who knows? Yeah. But they shouldn't, they should be getting more push on the offensive line. But when Wanya Morris came in, because Wanya Morris didn't start that game nope. in Nebraska. Nope. You still you still saw Anton Harrison at the at right tackle, and I was like, okay. Oh no, you saw Tyler Guyton at right tackle. I was like, yep. what's going on? <clears throat> I thought Wanya Morris is going to be avail- available. He comes in like the second drive conveniently. Do you think it was disciplinary, like you're back, but you're not going to start kind of thing, or yeah. do you think it was like a an adjustment of like, all right, that drive sucked. Let's get Wanya in there. <laughs> I I think that. There, it, there may have been a combination of both going on. Like, I think it was expected he was going to play. Yeah. I just don't know when it was going to be. I don't, I didn't yeah. think it maybe he would be out there starting. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe he might take a quarter off, but who knows? But he came in pretty quickly and yep. immediately started caving in that right side of the that right side of the defense, or I guess I suppose if you're looking at from the defense, is the left side of the defense. Yeah. Um, he caved them in and gave them more opportunities, especially with Anton Harrison back on the left side for running lanes. But of course, questions are still in the trenches. I still have questions about the defensive line sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, for me, it's about consistency. Like yep. Jeff Johnson, the guy plugged holes. Nobody's nobody's really getting past him. Jalen Redmond sometimes is just like a all conference, uh, all American. And then some to some plays you don't really notice them. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing for Reggie Grimes and a lot of same thing for Ethan Downs. I mean, he, they yeah. are able to diagnose plays pretty yep. well uh, and get off blocks pretty well, but just push up the middle and stuff like that. That's a little bit concerning for me. Uh, and hence why I was like, why are they in a three man front uh, starting yeah. the game? Right. But everything worked out well. I mean, like your linebackers are getting double digit numbers as far as tackles, but I don't know if you necessarily want that mm-hmm. um, as far as what the defense you're running, because Amanda Alex Grinch, it was all right. I'm going to look at my wristband and I'm going to do what my wristband tells me what I'm supposed to do, what my job is on the singular play. Whereas Brent Venables is we're going to play routes and we're going to play what they're doing, but we're also going to force the issue with blitzes and giving you several different looks to operate off of. And so, yeah, they leave for tackles and loss. Uh, that's awesome. They jump every route. They jump everything mm-hmm. which makes me a little bit curious about double routes uh yeah. when they do come on on the offensive end with xavier worthy for yep. texas yep regardless of who's throwing that ball xavier worthy is very fast and if he gets you stutter stepping at least once he is gone mm-hmm. um and oklahoma has seen that speed before but that i just i just have questions i don't i don't just have questions about the linebackers i think brent loves his linebacker room Uh, The defensive backs 
feels weird sometimes. You know, you have Woody mm-hmm. Washington. You know, you have uh, Billy Bowman. You know, you have Key Lawrence, who played pretty well. This this game, he was a little bit dinged up, dinged up last game. Yep. Um, he had an interception, almost had a second interception in place of Justin Broyles when he was able to play. And then you have CB2, which is Jaden Davis sometimes. Uh, other times, it's other guys. <laughs> so it's kind of confusing. But yeah. Jaden Davis seems like the guy to be down there. So you feel comfortable about the secondary, too, for the most part. For me, it's just all about the trenches. Um, running backs, I think Eric Gray is a perfect shoe-in for this offense. I mean, the guy has, what, nearly 300 yards on the ground so far i think he's like at 277 or something like that 278 somewhere around there 286 okay so pretty pretty close to 300 um already through three games but also over 100 something yards receiving so the guy is some that's meant for this offense a guy that's going to catch the ball where dylan gabriel almost got his head knocked off uh (laughs) with the with the one-headed catch Um, so that was fun, but a guy that's going to be able to rush down the field for you, make a couple of open field cuts, but also catch the ball in traffic, which he he's done through three games. So, yep. but my questions still remain with the trenches per usual. If only Jackson Arnold was two years older, we would maybe <laughs> see a different offense. Um, but last, last segment before we end this podcast, helmet stickers, you can choose more than one player on offense and more than one player on defense. Um, but typically just having one for both sides of the ball. Um, I'll, I'll take offense first and we'll just see what happens. I'll, I'll give a helmet sticker to, um, give me one for Theo Weiss because he, he's had, you know, like the, his first game wasn't anything that brag about second game caught a couple more balls, looked a little more consistent. And then yesterday was actually able to catch a few balls that were pretty important, pretty significant. One, which enabled he was able to go and again, navigate the open field Mm -hmm. as he got defenders turned around, especially while catching that ball while getting sandwiched at the same time for a touchdown. Uh, So good for him. for getting that touchdown um, and showing out for what we think he can be. And, if Gabriel gives him more opportunities, what he definitely could be. Um, so that's why I'm giving my helmet sticker out to on offense. What about you? I was going to say the same thing, but now I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to go another route, but I super happy for Weiss. I, I mentioned it earlier, but like taking the path that he's gone, probably not the path anybody expected when he was a part of that prolific, you know, trio that committed, yeah. um, Five stars. No, none of those trio probably played out the way anybody expected. Um, but one of them's not even playing out any, any, anywhere. Anyway, he's a uh, last I saw, he's at like Los Angeles College or something like that. Oh, is he? Um, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, he he's playing at some some JUCO out in California. And uh, Hazelwood, you know, he's he's been solid for the Hogs. Anyway. Super happy for for Weiss and and all the you know the ups and downs that he's had to go through. Glad he stuck around. It's cool to see him succeed. I hope he he finds more success. I'm gonna give my helmet sticker to Eric Gray. Um, it's hard not to. Just looking at his stats, his best game in a Sooner uniform 
Um, I've been a probably too high on Eric Gray since the day he joined the Sooners. I know a lot of people have been, you know, pretty down on him overall. And I think the production it's warranted. I have strongly felt it was more a reflection of the way he's been used than him as a player. I don't think that he always got used in the best situations Mm. under Lincoln Riley. I think there was some stubbornness there that we saw sometimes with link. Um, you, you see him out in open space and it's impossible to deny his talents like that juke he had. He sent that man into another dimension yep. and he can do that regularly. But if he's constantly just running straight up the middle, which I think he, you know, is an important part of his game, obviously, and, and something he needs to continue to get better at. You're, you're only going to see one side of Eric Gray. If you can find ways to get him in space, Throw, throw to him out wide. You mentioned his receiving yards earlier. Like get him out on the side of the field in space and throw him the ball. And he's going to, he's going to show you something. So I, I hope to see Lebby continue to use Eric Gray in that manner. I think we got kind of our first big taste of it yesterday against Nebraska. And I'm excited to watch him moving into conference play. It almost feels like you can give a helmet sticker for like the entire trio of uh, Tennessee transfers, if you yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> All right, since like since I took the first offensive guy off the board, you get the opportunity to take the defensive guy off the board. Who, who's who are you okay. giving helmet sticker to? It's got to be Jaron Kanick. It has to be for me. Um, like I said, this kid has been so hyped before he ever set foot on campus. The you know the kind of highly publicized uh, transfer signing issue as Brent Venables came over. I think the hype around this kid has been real. And we got what I would say is probably our first real taste of it against Nebraska. He played extended minutes because of the targeting ejection against Deshaun White. Ten tackles led the team in tackles in a game that, you know, he didn't start. That's pretty impressive. Um, three solo and tackles. One should have two should have two more tackles when they were had sacks. two more tackles. I was just about to say he had a quarterback hurry that should have been a sack if he would have got his head down a little bit lower. But instead, Ethan Downs cleaned it up for him. But it, it, you can see it. You can see the potential. I saw a tweet this morning of people comparing uh, Stutzman and Kanick to uh, Lehman and Kalmus. And I'm Ooh. not ready to go there yet. But believe me, I want to. I want to. The excitement is real. I think as you continue to see him get a feel for the game at the college level, get used to BV's system and Ted Roof's system, it just feels like the sky's the limit for this kid. And I, it was super exciting to get that first glimpse of that against Nebraska. I just, I don't feel like I've seen a linebacker that fast at Oklahoma. In a so fast, time. so fast. <laughs> like, and he's not, he's not a small guy either. No, it's, I've, I've, I haven't, I've not seen that kind of speed out of a linebacker that size at Oklahoma since like you, like you said, Teddy Lehman. I mean, Teddy yeah. Lehman ran track. That guy was like, crazy fast yep uh and i, I guess like striker was pretty quick and striker was fast. quick travis lewis had some speed i, I think that it it's a different feel yep. especially compared to the last few years um and that's not a knock on like oklahoma's had some great linebacker talent brian asamoa being the most recent example mm-hmm. but it just feels different even as, in a small sample size of how they're using canic um, he seems to be like you mentioned, uh, uh, about the scheme overall, he's showing up in plays rather than, you know, 
just being in the right place at the right time or, you know, where he's supposed to be like Brent Venables is imposing his will a little bit. And, and that's exciting for guys like Canick because of that speed, because of that skill that he brings to the table that, you know, it's not just necessarily like, Oh, we're going to wait. And you know, if, if the other team just never throws Canick's way, you're never going to hear his name, which is how it kind of felt a little bit the last few years. Canick, if he, you know, if he brings this to the table, you're going to see his name in plays because Brent Venable is going to insert him into those plays. He's going to be in the backfield. He's going to be messing things up. And I think that that's really exciting to look forward to. Yeah. His, his anticipation skills are just like incredibly off the charts. Like, it it felt like both times that he had a free run at Casey Thompson yes. that as soon as the ball was snapped, he was right crossing the threshold of, of the offensive line, which there was a clean hole for him to, to yeah, just jump. That one was wide open. Both times. Both times. It was like wide open. I was like, ah, well, well that's a learning opportunity to wrap up. But <laughs> it, it's just, it's one of those things. It's one of those things. Like he was beating himself up. But then the next thing you know, guy strips the ball and then recovers it himself. So forces the fumble, then has the fumble. And so it, it's just incredible what he's been able to do so far. And was a guy that we've known since really day one. Yep. He's playing in those four games. He's playing in more of those four yep. games. He's not going to be a red shirt kind yep. of guy. He's especially with this team, with the talent that they're going to need to operate at the level that they want to. Um, man, it's, it's hard to pick at a guy that a- after Jaron Canick that jumps off the page. Right. I mean, Billy Bowman, he yep. had that fourth that fourth down stuff, but he's been playing excellent all year. Um, Key Lawrence almost yep. had two picks. He definitely had one in bracket coverage, reading the reading the quarterback's eyes. Um, so I'll just say, yeah, I'll, I'm just going to go with the, the other Tennessee transfer. We've uh, we talked about Wanya Morris. We've talked about Eric Gray. I'll go with Key Lawrence. Key Lawrence finally being able to be back on the field. Uh, Justin Brolls took a spot for a minute. Um, and they were rotating in and out, but then Key Lawrence started to take over a lot of the game. Um, after like a, I think it was a hamstring issue, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so seeing him back there making plays, uh, forcing interception, that was a poorly, th- poor, poor, poor poorly. choice of a <laughs> throw. Uh, when you yeah. have a guy bracketed over, over and under, and then almost coming up with another one in the middle of the field, but also being in the right positions. So giving one to him. Um, and also, I mean, as much as I haven't been high on Ethan Downs, uh, the guy diagnoses plays pretty well um, yep. in the backfield. I mean, yep. he knows where the play is going to be. It just is a matter of him getting to that play because yep. the defensive line, it feels like for me, the majority of the time, it feels like they just about hit home. And if the opposition's gaining yards or getting a first down, it's just because they just didn't get there. There haven't been that many opportunities or times in which the defense is giving the quarterback forever to throw. I mean, yep. that happened a couple of times against uh, Schley uh, from Kent state where he kind of had quite a while to throw. Um, but in other cases that has not been the story. And when plays are breaking down. I mean, that's kind of just like what the nature is of this defense is if you can avoid all the crap Brent is going to throw that throw at you, um, then you will have an opportunity to make a play on offense. And so 
Um, I'm just going to give my helmet stickers to all the Tennessee transfers um, <laughs> and uh, and Theo Weiss and call it good there. Uh, but do you have anything else left to say, Justin? This is then in the postgame pod. No, this is fun. I think uh, it was a fun game to watch. Um, you know, I that little like blowouts. Yeah. But like even the little bit of edge at the beginning, and even though, you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum with this rivalry and how, you know, none of these guys really, really know the history there. I wasn't in Lincoln, but I was at the game last year and it was a blast. Like there was a lot of Nebraska fans there. The buzz in the stadium was different, even though, you know, it was Nebraska and you hadn't played them forever and Nebraska stinks. Like the the vibe in the stadium and like the rapport between the Oklahoma fans and the Nebraska fans that were in our section, it just felt different. And I think as we look at, you know, conference realignment, like that's worth kind of being sad about. Uh, It's worth kind of like regretting those historic rivalries not being as much of a thing anymore. But I think for for Oklahoma right now, it's like a lot of those have already gone, right? Like Nebraska's hasn't been in the Big 12 for a long time. You're not leaving that behind to go to the SEC. And maybe there's opportunities to, you know, rekindle something with a Missouri or start something new with like Arkansas. I lived in Arkansas for six years and I I learned that Arkansas fans hate Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and Oklahoma fans are like Don Draper in the elevator. I, I don't think about you at all. Maybe that changes when, when they're in the SEC and like that, that could become a thing and like a road trip to Fayetteville would be a blast. So anyway, that was like my reflection on, on the weekend of like playing Nebraska. Like there's something cool about it. I look forward to, you know, starting, starting some new things like that in the SEC and, you know, maybe some, some cool geographic rivalries that could come out of it. I guess the Sooners did travel pretty well and yeah, they found it. out that Nebraska has a hot dog cannon where they launch hot dogs into the crowd. That's fantastic. Like they have them <laughs> fully wrapped in like foil and something <laughs> and and like in some other in something else so that the foil doesn't just like completely fall apart <laughs> and they just launch dogs. Dude. Dogs in the crowd. Give me a give me a glizzy over like a crappy t-shirt <laughs> any day of the week. I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> It's incredible. I'll I'll send you video, but I love that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You guys can follow us on Crimson and Cream Machine.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kamarabi and at Kamarabi and TCM. You can follow Justin at Sooner Tracker. Um, You can also follow us on the Uncontested Podcast. Hey, that's a a fun time. Tonight's group podcast night. Um, And so. I'll put the Discord bio in the link. Oklahoma Sooners win 49-14 to on to K-State and Norman this coming week. See you guys.